0: get myself going with another record button on the tape machine there. Number 13, the last of our teaching sessions. Very good, very good. And aptly named Staying on the Right Path. Sounds good, to me, doesn't it? Good one to end with. We're on page one hundred and four. if you're following it in the booklets. A guy I've not heard of him, he's a nobody I imagine in the world's eyes, but a Powlett Wright... Apparently, he died on the 22nd of July, 1779, at the age of 40. And on his gravestone, it's written this. He died at Bristol, where he'd gone for the recovery of his health. So, unfortunately, the health qualities of Bristol didn't match up to the hype uh, that they had in those days, in the 1779s. Uh, they didn't in the 1990s, either way, when I lived in Bristol, but nonetheless. Unless Jesus returns first, we're all going to die. Cheery thought, but there you are. And as we die, we're going to lose everything. We'll lose our relationships, even the close ones. We'll lose our qualifications, our possessions, our money. They'll be gone. There you go, cheery thought. Well, it is the last one, so we can do this. There's one thing, however, we will not lose when we die. And that is our relationship with Jesus. And, of course, all the things that come... From that. You see, for the, for the Christian, death isn't the end, but it is the beginning of a wonderful future. That's why Paul says this in Philippians one twenty one: For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if you're trying to put anything else in that verse, as you'll see in the booklets there, it encourages you to have a go, then it doesn't work. The whole formula falls down. If if to live is your career, or your family, or a successful ministry, then to die can't be gain. It will be loss. But when the point of your life now is simply Christ and becoming like him, When you die, it does indeed get even better. You know, walking by faith every day, I'm told, is a bit like playing golf. I'm not very good at golf. I don't really do golf. But I might have to because we do golf days at King's Church. Um, And I'm told that in golf, I've done it on the Wii. Quite good on the Wii. um, I'm told that in golf, accuracy is what it's all about. And um, if you're only, say, 15 degrees off, I guess that's just a little bit, isn't it? In your swing, it kind kind of hooks around a little bit. If you don't hit it very hard, maybe 70 metres, you might be alright, you'll still be on the fairway. I'm told the harder you hit it, the more likely it is you're going to be in the rough, or out of bounds, or in the lake. (coughs) So if you hit it 300 yards, maybe it will get in the bunker or in the lake, you lost your ball. Now it could be that what you believe now, what you've started to believe about the truth, is only a little bit off, 15 degrees perhaps. For example, you might still think that success is all about having a nice home, or having a good job. And maybe in the early years of your Christian life, that wouldn't be too disastrous. Because we're not expected, are we, to be instantly mature in all these things. But if you continued, year after year, to have that belief system, after many years, that little bit of skew in your beliefs could end you up in the lake. And so in this session, what we're going to do is looking, look at our beliefs to see if we're on track according to God's overarching goal for our life to be more and more like Jesus in his character. So what do you really believe? Well, as I encouraged you last week, I don't know, I'll see if, how, how many have done it. We're going to look on page 102 to see if you filled in those survey questions. Has anybody done that? Has everybody done that? If, is, if there's anyone not done it, it doesn't matter. I'll just look at you. you know, kind of, Yeah. Grab a pen. I'm going to have to give you some time. I think it would be important and helpful if I give you a couple of minutes just to do that. I think it would be a helpful exercise. So, answer those questions. I think you have to put yourself on a point on the scale, and you have to fill in the sentences as well. So, I will give you a few minutes. Um, I'll try two minutes and we'll see where we're up to just to do that. Put the first thing that's into your mind, not just because that's quite quick, but also it's probably nearest to the truth as to what you fundamentally believe. still see a few pins uh, wiggling so I'll give you another uh, few seconds Crack on, and if you haven't finished, then you'll probably get the gist, and uh, you can always fill them in a bit later, the rest of them. Well, let's assume for the moment that your basic needs in life, food, shelter, safety, etc., are met. The things that are going to motivate you in life are the things you've written down to complete those sentences. The things you believe are going to give you success, significance, fulfilment, satisfaction, happiness, fun, security, and peace. Because, you know, right now, you're living by faith. You're living by faith according to what you believe. And that's reflected in how you've answered those sentences. At least that's how it um, it was constructed, that view. What number value on that scale do you think God wants you to score? Is it possible that God wants you to score five out of five? Mm. There's A few nods. I think it is. In fact, it is. And in fact, it's also possible in God to do that. Because, of course, if you think about it the other way, God surely hasn't called you to be an insecure, insignificant, unfulfilled failure. That isn't God's plan. We've learned something over this course. I'll just give you those. Now, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. And it could simply be because you haven't got the same definition for these attributes as God. And so you may not be living up to your full potential in God. And therefore, you may be in danger of taking something of a wrong turn. The key to staying on the right path, which is what this last session is about, is understanding the truth about what these characteristics really are. So, we're going to look at each of them in turn and look to see what God has to say about them. So, number one is success. Success comes, top of page 105, success comes from having the right goals. Now, it's possible for you to be... In the world's eyes, a complete failure, as they might say. But in God's eyes, to be an absolute success. Success, of course, comes from having the right goal. When we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1 earlier, I read that section out, it showed us that God's primary concern for you is not so much what you do, but what you're like. His goal for your life is to see you become more like Jesus in his character. And as those character attributes increase, the fruit of the Spirit becomes more evident in your life over time. You will be more useful. You will be more fruitful. And you'll never fail in God's eyes. And absolutely no one can keep you from accomplishing that very fact, that very goal. Now you may have thought, oh, well, surely success is more to do with my lack of, or lack of success, is to do with my lack of talents, or my lack of intelligence, or... The absence of any other gifts, maybe that's preventing me being successful. But the fact is that those talents, those gifts, aren't equally distributed amongst people. They're not even equally distributed amongst believers. Some have one talent, the Bible says, some have five, some have ten. We're not really there to count, but that's just the reality of it. But, God, of course, God has equally distributed himself across all believers. But of course, that's not, that doesn't matter because our identity is not in those things. Our identity, our sense of worth is based on who we are in Christ and our growth in character, not in talents. You are a child of God as much as the rest of us. And therefore, for each of us, it's equally possible whether you've got ten, five or one talent to grow in character and be a success. For failure, we noted it earlier, verse 9 of that passage in um, 1 Peter. Failure comes from forgetting who we are in Christ. Success comes from remembering it. God said this to Joshua when he asked them to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He said this, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, Joshua's success entirely hinged on believing and doing what God said. Of course, God immediately put it to the test, didn't He? He sent them all out to fight a battle at Jericho but it wasn't a traditional battle plan. He told them to circle the city seven times, then blow a trumpet or a horn or something. You see, for, for Joshua, the people then, success had nothing to do with the circumstances of the battle or the other people they were fighting against, but it had everything to do with Joshua's obedience to what God asked him. So success, you see, is accepting God's goal for your life and by his grace becoming in our character all that he wants us And has called us to be. Success. Number two, significance comes from a proper use of our time resource. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3, if any man's work remains he shall receive a reward. And then he instructed Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, train yourself to be godly Timothy, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise, for both the present life and the life to come. Therefore, if you want to increase your significance, you have to focus on these significant activities, those things that are going to remain there for eternity. Because what is forgotten over time is of little significance. But what is remembered for eternity is of great significance. World Cup finals, they might capture the headlines for a day or two, maybe a few weeks, and if we win, for longer. Um, but who can recall or knows who won the very first World Cup? Uruguay. You. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the second World who cares? Oh yeah, um, It was Uruguay, yeah. 4-2 in yeah. 1930. right. Yeah. Yeah. 4-2, yeah. come on. Uh, only could we're playing them tonight. Teenagers yeah. might think that one, uh, going to a One Direction concert is significant. But yeah. where will One Direction be in twenty years? Europe, wide. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! No, the, well, if they, well, the life of destruction yeah, could lead them one way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tax haven. Yeah. Well, based on the kind of pop stars and the rock stars I used, to, they'd probably do a come get back gig, yeah. won't they? They'll come back in the fashion, they'll make yeah. a musical, and they'll go yeah. on the theatre and the fit, yeah. and they make millions all over again without even lifting a finger. Um, but no, you see. What we do, what we build in terms of records and memorials and achievements in one generation, well, they're surpassed, aren't they, in the next. And they become distant and faded memories in future years. You know, tragically, for us, we need to make sure that we realise our own significance. Because if we don't, it leaves us dumbfounded, really. You may say, well, all I do, really, of kingdom value, why? You know, in the church, I, I serve a bit on the children's work. Or I'm on the welcome team. Or I put out some chairs. You know, what, for example, that children come to believe will have a eternal consequence. Mm. What a welcomed individual will learn as they come and feel welcome and sit and receive and maybe come back by way of the word of God may just have mm. eternal significance. Mm. It may last beyond this lifetime what they do with that. You know, when we're serving the kingdom of God, what we do will last forever. There's no insignificant tasks in God's kingdom. So number three, fulfilment. Where does that come from? It comes from serving others. Page 106 here, if you're following it. Peter also wrote this in his first book, chapter 4, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. <coughs> fulfillment is discovering your own uniqueness in Christ, your own set of unique gifts that are mixed up just for you why so you can build up others and glorify god in using them fulfillment comes from growing where we're planted in other words by being who god wants us to be where he's put us in life rather than relying on changes to our location or our circumstances or the people around us let me try and earth it a little bit there's a story in the material here about a christian engineer And he wanted to start a Bible study in his place of work. And he put a little poster up about it and started to gather a few people. Now one colleague noticed this notice. um, That's a hard sentence. Saw the notice, that's probably better. And he ripped it off the wall and said, you can't bring Jesus in here. It's a workplace. Well, he kind of carried on. And another colleague, actually through this uh, Bible study group, became a Christian. And eventually took over the group when the original guy left that company. Now, months later, he then came back to the company and found that the Bible group's still going on. And in fact, the guy who once pulled down that poster had fallen ill, almost died. And then the guy's now taken over the Bible group, led that other guy to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that was just, yeah, it's amazing to the knock-on effect of what you do, the little action you do, if you grow where you've been planted, where God's put you. God has a unique ministry, an area of service, if you like, for each Us and we can start at least by discovering what that is by looking at the unique role that God has put you in. No one else can replace some of those roles, and if we decide to be the person we're meant to be in those positions and roles in life, then we can find some fulfillment. So, in take your family, for example. You might be a son, you might be a daughter, you might be a father, you might, have a, you might be a niece, an uncle, an aunt. Whatever you are in that family, you're the best person to be that in that family context. No one else could do that better than you. That's your unique role in life. Think about where you live. The neighbours you've got, some you know a little bit, some you don't know, some are a bit funny. Well, God's planted you there to be the neighbour to those people and get to know those folk that, you know, in a way that only neighbours can get to know. It's a different dynamic, a different type of relationship they'll have. Only you can be the unique ambassador for Christ in your workplace that you're meant to be. Only you can do that. Your greatest fulfilment will come when you accept God's unique mission field for you. That's where he's planted you. That's your mission. And you look to meet the needs of those that God's placed around you to the best of your ability. You can't try and be somebody else. That's foolishness. You, can't, you won't be fulfilled that way. You need to be the unique person God's made you to be. You know, when we go to heaven, God's not going to say to me, hey Tim, you know, why weren't you like Billy Graham? If you've heard of Billy Graham, the famous American evangelist of a previous decade. He won't say, Tim, why, why weren't you a bit more like Dale Barlow? Or Steve Hewitt? Or, why? He won't say that. He'll say, Tim, why weren't you like you? So number four, satisfaction. Satisfaction comes from living a quality life. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Or they will be satisfied. Nothing else really satisfies except living a righteous life. Satisfaction is a quality, not a quantity issue. People become dissatisfied when the quality of their relationship or their service or their work diminishes. And therefore, the conclusion would be we achieve greater sense of satisfaction when we do a few things well than when we do many things in a haphazard or a hasty way. It's not about doing more, but about deepening our commitment to the quality in the things that we're already doing. So, for example, if you're dissatisfied in your relationships, it may be you've spread yourself too thinly. Solomon, who did spread himself too uh, thinly in a few areas of his life, wrote this in Proverbs 18. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Satisfaction comes from having a few quality friends who are committed, as you are, to meaningful relationships to one another. It's what Jesus modelled. Of course, he did preach to the multitudes. He did equip 70 people for ministry. He did gather 12 people for special instruction and investment. But he then chose three, Peter, James and John, for close companionship. And even within that, one, John, probably, over the others, to whom we know at the cross he committed the care of his mother, too. Satisfaction comes, therefore, from living righteously and from seeking to raise a level of quality in our relationships and what we do. Number four. So number five, happiness. Where does that come from? It comes from wanting what we have. You see, the world's concept of happiness is having what we want. Adverts tell us, you need a flash your car. You need a sexier perfume. I've got a perfume. Um, You need uh, a better, a faster, an easier thing of what you've already got. That's what it says. And if we get into that mindset, all of a sudden we're fired, we're getting restless. And we want stuff. We want the latest fashions and fads and fancy gadgets. You know, never has there been probably a society that has had so much stuff and yet is so unhappy. (coughs) And why that is... Well, we all know it in our heads because things do not make us happy. True happiness is summed up in this simple little phrase. Happy are those who want what they have. Mm. Clever, though, isn't it? Mm. When you begin to appreciate what you already have, you'll be happy all your life. Paul wrote this uh, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. 6. (coughs) Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You see, you already have everything you need to be happy forever. You've got Christ. You've got eternal life. You're loved by a heavenly Father who's promised to supply all your needs. No wonder the Bible again and again, if you read it, repeatedly tells us, be thankful, commands us, be thankful. Because we can see that he's provided so much. Especially, I guess, when you consider what we actually deserve, which is hell, destruction, separation from God. Yet, we can still be tempted, can't we, to continually want more. It's interesting, you read through the Old Testament, you see that God brought the Israelites out of slavery under the leadership of Moses, out of Egypt. He guided them, he provided such guidance. A pillar of cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night. Clarity about where to go. There wasn't any food, there wasn't any water. He provided miraculous bread they picked up every dawn. Birds flew in from who knows where to eat. Water gushed from rocks under God's provision. Yet they complained. They just nagged, they whinged all the way round the wilderness. They even said, "Actually, I'd prefer it if we just went back to Egypt and were slaves." Mm. Hello. You know, when we get to heaven and God asks us how our life was, will we say, "Oh, you know, it was okay, but would have liked a bit more"? What are we going to say? Um, well, we might say in reply, oh, "I gave you my son." Are we going to then say again, "I could do. I've done with it a bit more"? If you really want to be happy, you do need to learn to be content with life, with your lot, with what God has given. And be thankful for what you already have in him, rather than being focused on what you don't have. So we're hacking through them. Number six, fun. Where does fun come from? Enjoying life moment by moment. You know, it's probably true, isn't it, that the, the most fun times we've ever had, if you look back on them, they were, there was an element of spontaneity about it. There was an element of abandonment as we lost our inhibitions. That's how fun kind of works. It's probably another reason why so many people in the world drink heavily, because they're looking for that abandonment, that inhibition to go. But we don't need to do that. The secret to enjoying uninhibited, spontaneous fun as a Christian is to remove all the other unbiblical hindrances to that, such as keeping up appearances. Paul wrote this. He said that anyone who lives to please people isn't serving Christ. You see, the liberated Christian says, I don't care what people say. I only care what God says. I stopped playing that silly game a while ago. I'm not playing for the crowd. I'm playing for the coach. And there's a wonderful story about King David in the Old Testament. He was so happy when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, where the presence of God now was meant to be at that time. And he leapt. He was a king. But he leapt and he danced and he made a fool of himself in some ways to those who are looking on in his wild, joyful, abandoned celebration. And his wife scolded him and she said, you know, that's not right. You're a king, you shouldn't be doing that. And David said, I don't care. (laughs) Too bad. I'm going to dance. I'm going to make a fool of myself if I must. But, you know, I'm going to keep doing it because I'm celebrating my God. You know, it is a lot more fun to please God than to please people. Number seven, security. That comes from focusing on eternal values. We're on page 108, I think, if you're following it there. We feel insecure when we depend upon earthly things that we've got no ability to control. It won't take a profit to work out that one day for this world it's going to come up, isn't it? There's going to be tough days ahead for this planet. <laughs> Maybe sooner than later. We've got an exploding population. It's on its way to 11 billion people. And it probably plateau around there, I'm told. Um, we've got depleting natural resources that aren't replenishing themselves, or at least not very fast. And therefore we're on a collision course. Um, it's likely that all those events, as they have done even over these last number of years, shake the world, shake people, and show them where their security, our security, really is. We can find, of course, real security in one place, and one place only, in the internal life of Christ. Just a few Bible verses, you might have them listed out there, I'm not sure, but Jesus said that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Paul said that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He said that we are sealed in him by the Holy Spirit, that's Ephesians 1. Also, Colossians uh, 3 says that having died, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Take all that together, you can't get more secure than that. You really can't. Hidden with Christ in God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, nothing able to separate us from God, not able to be snatched away. That's security. You know, everything, if you like, that we have will one day be lost. Jim Elliot, a um, uh, 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 missionary who died very young, said this, martyred. He said, no, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose talking about eternity. Paul said something similar, I guess, in some ways in Philippians 3. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So there we have it. We feel secure when we focus on eternity and the things that are valuable. In the light of eternity. Number eight. Our last attribute. Peace. Peace comes from quieting the inner storm. Peace on earth. The Miss World uh, candidate might say as her desire. Uh, Well, peace on earth sounds like a good thing, but it's the wrong goal. It might be a godly desire, but it's not. A God-given goal. Nobody can guarantee external peace. Whether it's at the world level, whether it's in between nations, whether it's within a nation, whether it's in a family. It can't be guaranteed. And if we're looking for peace at that external level, then it's likely at times we're going to be disappointed. Peace, the peace of God, is something that's internal. It's going on inside of us, rather than related to the circumstances around us. Peace with God is something we already have. Romans 5.1 tells us that. The peace of God is something we need to take hold of every day in our inner person. We can have that internal peace of God even when life is a storm and the external world is chaotic. In John 14, Jesus says, My peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Our external world is largely out of our control, but we can control the inner world of our thoughts and our emotions by allowing the peace of God to rule in our hearts, to rule in our minds on a daily basis. There may be chaos all around us, but nothing will happen to you today or tomorrow that God and you cannot handle. Worship, praying, reading, engaging, absorbing God's word will enable you to experience the peace of God. Confident of it. It's in the Bible. Colossians, full of it. Philippians again. As Jesus, of course, is the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. And as we engage with him through the word, through worship, through prayer, then his peace, because that's who he is, comes to us. You know, Walking by faith comes down to making a decision every day. To believe what God says is true, to believe in his word where we get that truth and living it out accordingly and then by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if this session and that little survey you spent a couple of minutes doing earlier has highlighted any area in your belief system that might only be 15 degrees off, as in the golf analogy, well, choose the truth today. Renew your mind and keep going with it for the rest of of your life. It doesn't matter how far along the path of becoming more like Jesus you are already, you are God's child and he does delight in you. Whatever the circumstances in your life at the moment, he is intimately concerned in your life. Not only that, he has plans to give you hope and a future. And the amazing truth is that no one and nothing can prevent you from becoming the person God wants you to be. All it hinges on is your decision to adopt God's goal for your life. To be more and more like Jesus in his character. Because we've learned, haven't we, that it's about what we're like, not what we do. So today, or tomorrow as you wake up, will be the first day of the rest of your life. And that's exciting. And you can become the person God wants you to be. And nothing can get in your way. I'm going to end with a a prayer, so why don't we just turn to him in this last couple of minutes. Heavenly Father, we've reached the end of this course, but we thank you that, Our growth, our maturity doesn't end here. We thank you, Lord, that for each of us, we are your children, we're your child, we're saints made holy and pleasing and acceptable because of Jesus and what he has done. We thank you, Lord, that our goal is to become the people you created us to be. What better goal is that? I thank you, Lord, that nothing and no one and stand in our way in achieving that I thank you Lord that it is genuinely for freedom that Christ has set us free and so Lord we tonight together commit ourselves to truth to knowing the truth knowing how to use the truth and using it to transform and renew our minds Holy Spirit I just ask that you fill if free person in this room tonight fill us Holy Spirit and send us out in your power to become more and more like Jesus to grow as disciples to bear much fruit and to make disciples of all nations we thank you Father we thank you nothing can separate us from your love that you're always going to be with us we love you we choose to put you first And we say, Lord, like Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Amen.